The Ebony's in the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. Dr. Lakeitha Poole, um, and like Dr. Bell said, I'm super excited about this being our second episode, so hopefully you all who heard the first episode like what you heard, and so now you're back, and hopefully you've also told a friend, so we're excited to kick off. Make sure, for those of you who are maybe first or second time listeners, that you have subscribed so that you'll get notifications when new episodes appear on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And then also follow and like us on social media. So Instagram and Facebook, we are at Ebony's in the Ivory. And on Twitter, we are Ebbs in the Ivory. And then lastly, make sure that you also check out our website, which I think is pretty dope. And it's easily accessible. There's lots of more details, more about us for those of you who just want to know more about who we are um, and how Ebony's and Ivory got started. It's a great place to do that. And so you can do that from anywhere on your laptop, on your tablets, on your phones. Everything is easily accessible to you. So thanks for tuning in again. And we're excited to kick off episode two. You ready, Dr. Bell? I'm ready. So last week we talked about, we talked mostly about what Ebony's and Ivory is and just gave you guys a preview. And so we're ready to get just into some of the topics that we want to cover. We definitely did get some feedback from some of you all as listeners about the show itself, but also more of what you want to hear. So we are super excited about sifting through that information and being able to look at how we can include that in future episodes. So we did do that last week. And so this week we're ready to dive in. One of the main things that has come up and in some ways it connects to if those of you have read the past week's blog, last week's blog, I think our topic today will definitely connect with that in a major way. And so we want to talk about the green eye monster known as Envy. Mm-hmm. Y'all know about it. 
um, and comparison and just how that plays a role in both the pursuit of your education, but also just your personal life, particularly for us as women. And so we want to spend a little time just talking about envy and comparison and the role that it plays. So again, if you read last week's blog, you saw we talked about curating your village. And so this idea of how do you put the right people kind of in your environment so that the dreams and the goals that you have are easily able to be accomplished and you have the support system in place that you want. So one of the things that I thought of in particular, not just with that topic of curating your village, but just in general is where does this need for competition even come from? And then more so, particularly among women, sort of this idea that like we have to be in competition with one another versus being able to be each other's support system, cheerleaders, co-collaborators, like all these other great things that, you know, for us as women, we have the power to do. And yet somehow we still get wrapped up in competing um, or thinking that we're competing. And I think that's really what we kind of want to talk about today. So Dr. Bell, any thoughts on the whole competition thing and how envy starts to play a role or can play a role? I think specifically, just even thinking about like academia here is um, because those spaces aren't really occupied by, um, you know, African-Americans, women of color in general, I feel like there's a, I don't know, maybe a pressure to be a token if that makes sense mm-hmm. like I have to be like this black girl or this woman of color in my program like and and maybe thinking there's not enough room um for other you know women of color to to shine in a way that maybe we want to sometimes um I know for example and which is I always say this but my my doctoral program um was very diverse um and we graduate a lot of African-American students, both male and female. Um, and when I first, my, I took my first class, uh, my foundations class in higher education. Um, and we, we had a good balance of um, African-American men and African-American women and women of color. Um, and I just remember, even though we had that good balance, um, I, I didn't really, I didn't really necessarily feel welcome mm-hmm. by some of the other mm-hmm. uh, women of color in my program. I actually ended up gravitating towards the master students because um, we had doctoral students and master students. Um, and I mean, we all started at the same time, but I mean, in some kind of ways, like they kind of looked to me as, you know, you already have a master's, like you want this high program, like, you know, we want you to be here. And I, 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 I gained a lot of friendships in the master's program um, yeah. just because they were more open. Yeah, they, and it they embraced that, you. Yeah, Right, they embraced me. And it wasn't that imposter syndrome we see mm-hmm. in higher ed. Um, and they were, they were more welcoming. Um, I didn't, I don't feel like, like I said, I really, um, I guess I don't feel like I was necessarily as embraced um, by black women in my program outside of um, Dr. Aaron Vaughn and Dr. Allison Smith um, by black women in the program necessarily um, but black women who came in the program after I did you know, I, was, I made sure that um, I don't want them to feel that way 
so I made sure that I was welcoming and transparent and um, just warm to them. Um, but I, I, I think that I don't know, like if you, you know, if you have a cohort that's coming in and you, you're the the woman of color who everybody knows, and you're doing this and you're presenting and um, you're well known by. Um, you know, professors, and that's kind of your space. Like you, you kind of created that space, and then somebody comes in behind you. You know, I've seen that happen where you know, women of color not not as really as welcoming, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. And I always say, you know, I, I my help outside of Dr. Vaughn and Dr. Smith really came from men, to be quite honest. Um, Dr. Vincent Harris and Dr. Courtney Craig. Um, one of my um, my cohort best friend, um, his name was Chris. He eventually um, went to another state um, for a position in higher ed, but like he was my cohort best friend. Um, I was definitely made um, to feel more welcome by men in my program, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's something. I hear a lot, which is interesting. I think I mentioned that in the blog. A lot of my close friends and colleagues have talked about how men have been the ones that have been their champions, um, their support systems, which I think is awesome because I think in society at large right now, especially like politically and even in some forms of the church, like all kinds of things. Yeah. We don't necessarily see women being put on that pedestal as uh, leaders or to be supported. And so that's awesome. I think in my experience, which is interesting and probably why I chose that as like our topic for the blog that week, is that I've been fortunate to always kind of have a village of women. And so you've named some of these women like, you know, Dr. Allison Smith and we talked about Dr. Shonda Allen Mitchell, Dr. Monique Ryan. Kane. I've had all these people who have been women, particularly women of color, who have been uh, support systems for me, both educationally, so while I was in school, but also just personally as well. Right. And I feel fortunate because I do recognize that more people have the opposite experience where maybe male figures or or it's very few uh, women who will be their support system. So right. I do think that's pretty interesting that people can have kind of those different experiences. And I, yeah. you know, I think it's something to be noted, of course. And I, I specifically in my program, like with my peers, um, that was the case. But outside of that, so like you said, um, Dr. Alan Mitchell, my chair, um, Dr. Jennifer Curry, who just is, the best woman I know besides my mom um but like just I guess even like you guys like my friends mm-hmm. like people who we um culminated a relationship with in our master's programs who mostly all of us went on to get a PhD um in that sort of outside of the ivory tower situation mm-hmm. um I had that support like I had that village and still have that village but I think it's because I know like you your, you had friends that were women of color in your program with you mm-hmm. going through it at the same time I had um, one I had one 
I have one I have one woman of color and then one non woman of color who both were yes, definitely my support systems and of course I don't know why I'm not saying their names, Doctor Rebecca Vasquez and Doctor Christine Baker. And both of them got it because even though we were women who understood the place that we were in, especially for Doctor Baker as a non woman of color, she got it. Like she understood that there were definitely different challenges maybe for her and maybe in a future episode and I know you you know this because we're friends and you were my writing partner when a lot of craziness went down in my dissertation process I appreciated Dr. Baker for getting it and like really understanding that her experience and my experience were very different and we had a there was a common denominator uh, when it came to our committees and yet our treatment was different. And so, and that that's probably why she and I are still great friends. And then the same thing with Dr. Vasquez, you know, as a Latino, she and I had very similar experiences just in how it even felt maybe being in the room of all these folks that weren't like us. And so, it, yeah, it definitely makes, it makes a difference. But I think you bring up a good point, even when you mentioned Dr. Curry, that there are folks outside of our community who are advocates and who, will be definitely support systems uh, when we need them because at the end of the day, I think the common thread is we're still all women and that in itself comes with its challenges. And then when you add, you know, being a woman of color, then of course that's, that's a whole other, other layer as well. Please do not get me started. We got to save that for a whole other episode. By non-women of color. Oh, and allies. I can't even. So that might already, we might already have our next topic. So, but I think I, I love all the points that you made about the fact that we, we do sort of owe it to ourselves though, to find who those people are that are going to be what we need to help us in the challenge of finishing a PhD or starting a program or, you know, working through challenges personally what that looks like can vary so like the example you gave of the fact that you connected a lot more with them some of the master students just because they were more receptive and that in itself which seems like a very small thing definitely makes a huge difference and um, I just think it's important so one of the things that I've been thinking about and I I guess I could have put this in like culture corner but not really um, is that I, I've i been listening to Everything is Love by my favorite couple in the world. And, <laughs> and you know, one of the things that came up for me in particular, because obviously it's a song, it's an album about kind of life and marriage and some other things, but two songs in particular that made me think about this topic is the song Boss and Friends. And what I liked about both of these songs is it gives an honest perspective around the fact that everybody wants to win, but everybody doesn't want to do what it takes to make it work. And in both of these songs, they were talking about, obviously for Boss, they were talking about from a business perspective. So, you know, Jay-Z talks about like, it's all good until the invoices and the business part starts coming you know, then the crew is gone. Like nobody wants to do that work part to build something really great. And then in Friends, I like that both of them gave very honest perspectives about the fact that my friends know the trueness of what I'm experiencing. And they will also understand when I'm going through a time, my presence might not be there. And so Jay-Z used the example of them not going to Kanye and Kim Kardashian's <laughs> wedding, which we also know, like, let's be honest, y'all, y'all know Jay-Z and Beyonce do not really do, like, the whole 
public reality media circus thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and Kanye should know that too, because that used to be him at some point. Um, right. So, I think that's number one. Like, they're not going to be on your reality show. No. But separate from that, and in relation to Ebony's and the Ivory, is the fact that they were in the midst of a storm in their marriage. Right. And Jay-Z had to make a decision about what was most important. And what he says at the end of the day is like a real friend would understand that and this wouldn't even be a thing. And so I think that same thing happens in relation to our educational pursuits sometimes. So I know for me during the dissertation, well, even before dissertation, just the, the whole three years, it's you miss out on some stuff. You might not make it to Uncle Bebo party or you might not <laughs> or you might not get to go to on that girls trip that came up at the last minute because you plan to write and you have a deadline. And one of my professors, and I can't remember which one, so I feel bad, but it's okay, told us this when we started. They were like, you know, prepare your family and friends now for them to know, like, these these years are going to look a little different. But when you're done, you'll be back and you're going to need them because you need them to be at your graduation cheering for you. And what I appreciate about I can't really think of anybody that now that the the whole process is over a few years over that I've lost you know and that didn't understand when I was like man I'm not gonna make it to your baby shower or I'm not gonna be able to make that wedding which in my personal well-being and wellness and what I need those are things that I love to do just to be able to like see my friends experiences as they grow and and so that was hard for me too and I think I think that's what made the people in my life get it they knew it was hard for me to miss it they didn't think that I wanted to miss it they understood and so it's this idea of like is it possible then for us to like kind of have it all and can we can we all win at this game of pursuing our education trying to be there for our family we didn't even we haven't even talked yet and that's probably another episode of like what is it like if you already have a family or if you are trying to start a family or you know you got engaged during the like the process of us finishing up and then got married like writing process right and then you got married like four months after which means you planned a wedding while still finishing you know like that's that's a lot and so being able to really think about like can we all can we win at all things is that possible what do you think i think it's possible because we've done it um and if we can do it and i always tell my friends if i did it trust me that you can do it like this and i'm not like not self-deprecating or anything like that but if I can do it literally like you can do it mm-hmm. um I think it's funny that you brought up the whole engagement thing um my husband proposed to me when I was writing my when I was going through um generals and I was like oh shucks like you know I had been waiting so it was good but I was like man like I know how I am I have to get things off of my plate. If I don't, I will obsess over it, and I will not. I will not succeed at multitasking. Like mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to get it off my plate because I am a daydreamer. Mm-hmm. I have a great imagination. I will be thinking of all kind of stuff when I'm supposed to be writing. So I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I will give myself the entire month of August to plan this wedding. 
And I was still, you know, do my thing and keep writing and do whatever. Um, I was finishing up at that point, but I know I still had a proposal that was going to come up right after that and um, then dissertation. But I said, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to devote the whole month. And I did, and I found everything. I was very organized. I kept a spreadsheet and a budget and all this stuff, and I got it all out. I said, because when August is over, I'm done. Like, until I defend, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, unless, like, I look at it over, like, Christmas break or something. Because I can't. It's just, it, it wasn't going to work for yeah, me. Yeah, like, you couldn't do me. all of that at one time. No, mm-hmm. I know me. Like, I had to just, like, be fully invested at that time. Yeah. And I, I fully invested myself to it and planned it. Um, and I did it. And I, and I got it done. And I didn't really pick it back up um, until March. And I ended up getting married. Um, in October of that next year um but it's interesting because during that time my lease was up on my condo um and I had to go stay with one of my line sisters oh I um, forgot about I that too lease, I forgot you know? all about I was like, that I don't want to sign a new lease and I'm getting married I'm about to move to Houston so I was like okay I'm gonna go stay with my line sister she had an extra bedroom in her condo um so you know, she already knew when she's the same. Like, when she has work to do, she needs to get it done, she's going to do what she got to do to get it done. And I was not playing any sorts of games because we had put ourselves on that three-year timeline, which was ludicrous, but we did it. But I knew we had to stick to the timeline. Mm-hmm. So I knew what, what it was going to take. And I told her, I said, look, I'm here to sleep. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I love you. Like... I've been knowing you for 10 plus years, but I can't be doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to write. I got to sleep. I'm writing with Keith every day. She knew. Um, and it would get to the point where you really have to, you you have to prioritize. So, I, I said this on my last episode. Um, I have 26 line sisters, and we are all very close. Um, and when you have 26 line sisters, things come up. People have babies. People get married, like things happen. People have birthdays. All my licenses' birthdays are in the month of January, like almost all of them. So we have birthday dinners, like back to back to back to back to back to back. And it's just like, I had to tell them, hey, y'all, I love y'all, mm-hmm. but I can't come to y'all stuff this year. I'll catch y'all next year. Remember when um, Mardi Gras? We went to go to Zulu so bad. <laughs> yes. So bad. We were like, man, it's we can't go like we don't even have the freedom to go to Mardi Gras we don't have the freedom to go to Zulu Ball Mm -hmm. but that's just something that we had to do and it got to the point to where you didn't even get your data until the end of January Mm -hmm. Um, and we really only had two months to To write yeah and to finish to make it happen legit like we had to do chapters yours were um, organized differently but we had to do the last couple of chapters in two months and mm-hmm. we had to get into like a like 100 pages we had to get it done we had to make it happen hashtag make it happen thank you <laughs> Ashley for that um and I mean I, t- I said I told my line sister um I had a friend at the time and they knew like on Tuesdays we would sit down and we would watch Married at First Sight that was my release like that was my escape Married at First Sight for an hour we spent like 30 minutes debriefing what happened on Married at First Sight. That season was a mess. Um, that was like... <laughs> it was Vanessa and that boy. But um, oh, no. that, 
that was my time to debrief. And that's what I had to do. And it sucked. It sucked so bad. And I'm not even going to lie. Like, it, it sucked because you can't do anything but write all day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all that you can do. It got to the point where we, we were writing, what, like 12, 13, 14 hours a day, every single day for three months. And it was, it sucked. But you got to do what you got to do. Just like you said, Jay Z said, embossed like it's all fun and games and you could be taking these classes and doing this coursework but when it comes time for you to produce the document either you do it or you're, you're not going to be a doctor like all that work is going to be in vain so right um i think it's possible but i think you have to be disciplined and i think you need somebody in your corner who's going to be disciplined right and i think you need to set expectations and you need um, to be realistic about how that time is going to look. Mm-hmm. I think with, yeah, I think with yourself and with the people that maybe you're either gonna work with as like writing partners or who are just your support system. So I right. also know, you know, my mom, my boyfriend, like they were people who they had no idea. I mean, they knew what I was writing about, but what all the details of what it really takes and the stats behind it and how to make all that stuff happen for them it was more of like being my sanity or being my escape from that world in order to make sure that that next day or that weekend that I couldn't come home I I knew they would be there like they are going to support me or they were going to bring me dinner or they were going to you know make sure that I figured out how to fit in if it was a family gathering or something like they right. understood I might be a little late or I might, right. you know, come and have to leave after 20 minutes, like whatever. I think that that matters like the this, the people in your camp, it just really matters because, again, that that comparison game or whatever, it, it can it definitely happens because I think that's the strain that this experience puts on people and in the blog post last week i talked about a very specific example from when dejelon and i were writing along with one of our other friends cassandra noel who also during her first year of law school planned a wedding and like you know all these things like it's possible for sure but it also is just a different type of experience when you're surrounded by positivity versus surrounded by people who are like draining your energy and so we want you to go read the blog so i'm not going to tell you everything but we had a we had a person who we thought you know we were kind of like doing a favor and offering support another woman of color who we wanted to be able to give the opportunity to be a part of something we were creating that we didn't necessarily know what it was going to turn into either but we knew we needed the support and so we figured you know we're all pursuing professional degrees for us that was phds for cassandra that was a law degree and we were like okay let's just start out getting together a couple times a week and writing for like an hour hour and a half that's it so we also knew we all were busy we all were working we had a lot to balance but we wanted that to be both a place of escape but a place of productivity and let's just say you know we kept it that way but we had to become a crew of three some things don't work till you get down to beyonce kelly and michelle that's just (laughs) that's just what it is and so we had to realize Farrah had to go. So we just, we had to make a decision because she was not 
uh, bringing the energy or the vibe that made it feel like we were all on the same team. It felt like we were like we it was like having like an enemy in your camp. It felt it was weird. It was some and it was something because of the fact that I had built such great friendships with the women that I had encountered since moving to Baton Rouge, since getting my master's, like all these things. I had all these like really great, positive, wonderful women. And even in my friendships before that, like that's who the type, that's the type of people that I surround myself with. So that was, it was awkward, I think for all of us, cause we didn't know what to do. But what I will say is that sometimes the fact that you're able to maintain your integrity and positivity in those situations will allow that envious person, that comparing person, that negative person to remove themselves. And that's exactly what happened for us, which I am grateful to baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph for because Jesus didn't need to be there. And I think, mm-hmm. I think you have to. I'm glad that happened and she was able to remove herself, but I'm pretty sure we would have had to advocate for our, for our space and protect our peace yes. and protect the positivity that we had going on mm-hmm. um, in that situation because that definitely was not going to work for me or you or anybody else <laughs> or Cassandra. Um, <laughs> and I think I think just like you said, tying it back to like the comparison, um, uh, 10 times out of 10, there's no reason for it. It's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, we were getting different degrees. We were on a different timeline, on a different pathway. We had different dissertation topics, and it was just really no reason for it. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, you know, I'm tight and I'm this and I'm that to where somebody um, needs to be envious of me or somebody needs to be jealous of me. Because like I said, if I could do it, anybody could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like when you're aware and especially us being counselors and us kind of been being able to like feel the room and and being more in tune with our inner selves and our emotions that was definitely a spirit of jealousy and envy um for no reason right um and we were there to support each other and to help each other in the best way possible we almost felt like we were her pupils or i don't know it was just it was just uncalled for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I said, tens out, 10 times out of 10 is uncalled for. And I don't know where it, I mean, I have my theories, but where we can pinpoint that, that crabs in a bucket phenomenon um, that sometimes, like I said, happens with women of color where you feel like it's not enough space and it's not enough room um, for somebody else to shine when, of course, there is. Like, we, when we rise, we we're supposed to pull each other up. Right. Um, we're the ones who get the job done. Exactly. I don't know nobody that can cover us for right. us. Um, Drake said that. <laughs> but um, seriously, like we need each other. Yeah. Um, we need to be able to have each other's support to break open these spaces. Right. Um, we need each other to be able to mentor those who come um, after us. Like it's just it's so necessary. So tearing others down I did in, in comparing or projecting whatever on someone else that spirit of jealousy and envy is just it's unnecessary yeah yeah I agree and, and it just totally takes away from the m- momentum that um, somebody has so you know just being able to 
really think about how that can look different for folks who are either still in that process or about to start that process. That's that's what we're here for. That's what we wanted to be able to do through Ebony's and the Ivories to offer up this type of, I don't necessarily even know if it's advice, but it's just, it's the way in which we were able to make it work. And if that helps somebody or supports them in some way to figure it out, then I'm all here for it. So, yeah. And you know what this reminds me of? We kind of talked about this when we did um, a seat at the table, when we did our roundtable discussions. It it really, it didn't surprise me, um, but it was just very interesting to hear other women of color sitting at those round table discussions to talk about how, you know, there was another woman of color in the program, but, you know, if they didn't necessarily feel that support either, or they didn't feel like that was someone um, that they could reach out to, they kind of felt like it was a competition or, right. you know, that they wanted to be in first place. I don't even know. Um, but we heard a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um we heard a lot of that at our roundtable, um, which I guess kind of ties into kind of what we want to talk about as far as um, our thoughts about entering initiative that we have coming up. Yeah, so that's our next kind of thing. Um, and we are still trying to work through what it'll look like. Um, but obviously, one of the things that we heard, like Dr. Bell was saying, from people who attended is, you know, a lot of people are fearful about the process because they do know the sacrifice that it comes with. They do understand that there are different dynamics involved based on, you know, do you have a family? Are you going to work full time? And sometimes you need somebody in your corner who's just not as close to you or, or even involved in the situation. So if you are you know, a mom going back to school, your kids are always going to take, you know, precedence over anything else. And so it's going to be really hard to be able to explain to them or explain to your husband or explain to family members um, what that experience is like. And they will totally empathize, but that doesn't mean that they really understand it. And so having somebody who's been through the process to be able to support those of you who may be, maybe you're still a master's student and you're just trying to think about the PhD process early, having a mentor to be able to talk through about managing maybe the multitude of your roles. So being a full-time employee and going back to school again for your last degree, I think is critical. Or maybe you're already in the process and you don't have any other people of color in your cohort to, or maybe you don't have any faculty of color or both. How do you, you know, just have a place to go with somebody who will get it? who will at least be able to understand because they've either been there or they know what you're going through and they're able to offer you words of wisdom, support, all of that. So we definitely have that in the works next, kind of as our, I guess, really first initiative to come out of Ebony's and the Ivory so that we can kind of build those relationships and really start to build up what this experience can be like. Absolutely. Like, even like you said, with people who are like thinking about pursuing the doctoral process or need someone to bounce ideas off of um i know i've looked at a few people's personal statements um in you know when they're applying to a doctoral program not even necessarily the one that um you know i got my degree from but i used to work in career services so i have experience with looking at personal statements and helping to cultivate a personal statement so i mean you never know what wealth of knowledge someone has 
Um, so just being able to like bounce ideas off of someone or someone who's already, you know, traveled that path, I think is, is very important. I know, like you said, you know, someone, when you get to the points where you're about to defend something, like someone who can, you know, say, Hey, you know, let me look over your PowerPoint or you want to get on Google Hangout. Like we can see, you know, you want to present, you know, just, just if you don't have people who you feel like you can connect with. Um, or even if you do it, you just want, you know, someone outside of that. I think that's where the mentorship initiative um, will definitely um, be beneficial. Yes. So all my Ebony's out there, be on the lookout. We're working to bring this to you guys because we know how much it benefited us. You all have heard stories already and you're going to hear more stories of some of the women whose names we've dropped who've definitely been mentors, whether they wanted to or not, um, for us. <laughs> um, and so it at least you could choose one versus like what we did was force people um, to be that for us sometimes, but it worked. And because of that, we know the benefit of mentorship. And that's definitely something we've also talked about in our presentations. And so we want to be able to bring that to life. So be on the lookout. And I guess that kind of wraps up our conversation around, you know, just this topic we wanted to talk about the comparison game, envy, and how that really just slows your progress in this whole thing. So Hopefully, just some of the things we brought up gives you some things to think about and keeps the conversation going. Don't forget to go check out the blog post that was related around curating your village and what that really looks like. And if you just want to know the tea on more about this person that we were talking about, you can read that there as well. Leave us some comments. We definitely will write you back. And I guess right here, we'll just take a little break. We're back, so we're going to kick off our signature segments. So we introduced these to you all last week, and I think people really liked them. We got some good responses just from what we we talked about, but we want to spend a little time before we wrap up the show talking about two kind of big areas, one of which is obviously what Ebony's and Ivory is all about, which is celebrating the accomplishments. So we'll do that last. But before that, I want to talk about Culture Corner, which is just where we highlight kind of what's going on in higher education, but also pop culture and bringing those worlds together a little bit. So we made a reference earlier to a certain like album that is out right now we talked about sort of this idea around being a boss and friendships and you know all those things definitely do play into the process but in particular I wanted us to maybe talk more specifically around like what does it mean and what does it look like for women in the workplace particularly women of color um, and how oftentimes in higher ed settings, whether that's you in the role of a pupil or you in the role of a staff or faculty member, that comes with a ton of expectations. Yes. And it's hard to manage sometimes. And I think actually there was, I remember in particular, and I wish I remember her name and if she's listening, I hope she understands that 
I, I remember her. Um, but in our presentation, um, who brought up that she's been a faculty member for several years yes. and um, has had some very interesting experiences on that side. So we, you know, spent a lot of our conversation around the student experience um, of being a woman of color in higher ed. But sometimes we forget about the other side, the staff side. And right. that, that's something that even though. Again, Dr. Bell and I have spent a lot of time talking about our student experiences. We both have also had work experiences, mm-hmm. both pre-finishing our dissertations and our, our PhDs, but also post then, too. We both have had some mm-hmm. very interesting experiences, just folks getting beside themselves a little bit. So, <laughs> so I just want us really briefly to talk about like some of that stuff we might see both in like our higher education settings, of course, but also just what we still see too in like pop culture and in our world, you know, and and this idea of expectations. And so of course, the first things I think about are the fact that they always expect us and they, I just mean the outside world uh, as women, particularly women of color to be these like nurturers to always go above and beyond to make sure that we are overcompensating for what we are already bringing to the table and I just think that it's really important sometimes to call that out in order to not allow things like discrimination and disappointments even that come our way so Dr. Bell you had any thoughts on that side from a cultural perspective like in the workplace the challenges the expectations sometimes it's too much no absolutely and what I think about when I think of especially what you say about expectations and nurturing is just even the expectations that either we put on ourselves um or that you know come out of you know where we work so um being at a predominantly white institution um you know clearly african-american students students of color gravitate toward faculty members and staff members of color um and i think you know it's interesting to see how many extra duties maybe that you know we will pick up um that aren't necessarily in our job description such as advising i know you have a people call you all the time email you all the time mm-hmm. uh, yes of how one of them <laughs> for lunch wanting to bounce off you know bounce ideas off of you and you know how can you help and it's just being that I guess beacon um it's kind of what we're expected to do and we're expected to nurture our students and and to um be there for them as much as possible mm-hmm. um and I feel like that's just a as a cultural thing like we we look out for our people and we make sure you know we're giving as much as we can yeah um and i think sometimes that goes unnoticed i know that's definitely the issue for a lot of faculty of color is that you know black students gravitate or um students of color gravitate towards them um and they might you know be the faculty member with the most um chair positions on a dissertation committee because you know students of color would gravitate towards them or they might be asked to spearhead certain um certain committees or uh whatever um that that involve or centered around diversity um so i feel like you know there are those expectations um that you being a person of color 
you know, you need to make sure that whatever diverse, uh, diversity agenda we have on this campus, like, you got to get it done. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, some, it's, it's our job to do it, um, <laughs> even though, you know, it's, it's a campus full of other people. Exactly. Um, <laughs> just like we're researching. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We don't support these students. Who's going to support them? Um, so I feel like just in that sense of nurturing and, and those expectations is, you know, we do a lot more than what the job title, the job description says. Right. And, like, we often see this play out. The example I obviously thought of initially – Um, is the comparison right now that's, I think, pretty relevant to our previous first lady, because she will never be former to me, um, because she still is and always will be. Um, And our current first lady, and who we really don't know much about, so I'm not going to come for her in that way, but I'm just saying. One of the things that stands out is Michelle Obama, when President Obama was in office, definitely came in having agendas of her own, you know, around higher education, around healthy eating, around fitness, all kinds of things that, you know, were definitely important social issues at the time. And it was interesting because I felt like people in the role that she came in expected that, like she needed to come in with a plan and people were going to be very upset if she wouldn't have had one instead of actually making note that before all of this this woman she's an attorney like she went to law school like she's a genius Barack actually worked for her at one point right but anyways so exactly and so she totally could have been that kind of working mom and supporter she didn't have to necessarily be our first lady and that's in in the role that most first ladies assume and i think if we and not to compare in a negative way but definitely in a positive way we could think about our second lady dr jill biden who uh still taught she was still on faculty at you know university while all eight of those years and grading papers and michelle would always talk about that like how she doesn't even know how she was able to manage all of that still while keeping kind of a day job so it's interesting that those expectations for women remain no matter how high you may uh, go, I guess, in, in your career ladder. Now, on the opposite end of that, we have, I feel like Dr. Bell just grimaced under her breath. Uh, <laughs> Especially with the, whatever, I don't, go ahead. So, so um, with our current first lady, who is not, she was not born here in the U.S., so, you know, there are different value systems, which some in, a, in some countries, they may have much stronger value systems around education than we do. Um, yeah. And so I don't know much about her in that way, but I do know um, she's not a college grad and chose a different career path for herself that I, I'm sure she found to be very lucrative and, you know, has worked for her. However, um, <laughs> however... Since being in office, which I believe, yeah, it's over a year now, I try to forget though, (laughs) is that I haven't really seen many initiatives or any. Um, I think she just had. She's fully staffed. True, also true. And maybe that's because there's not a need for it if you don't have anything going on. 
So again, I'm. This is not to turn this into a shade session, right, but right, I think right. the what we can point out is that our current first lady is technically not a woman of color, and there is no expectation. No one is calling for her to have an initiative or to have a job or to be working on something on behalf of the American people. And yet our previous first lady, there was definitely a call for that and outrage about what she chose to do, which in the grand scheme of things actually benefited our country and still does. But, um, and she still is involved and engaged in that work. Right. Those things didn't change when they left, um, Pennsylvania Avenue. And so being able to think about that again, at the highest level, well then imagine what those experiences are like for us when maybe, you know, we've been working in a job for a long time and we're looking for an opportunity to be elevated and titled or we are trying to go in and ask for that raise that is more than well-deserved and yet we have fear around doing it because that's just not what you're supposed to do. But being able to recognize that, you know, we have to to really uh, reclaim a little bit of our, our power and our time, shout out to Auntie Maxine. Um, when it comes to our role in the workplace and how we how we view our role in the workplace. And I just think being able to make sure, and Dr. Bell hit on this earlier, like we have to open that door for other folks to even know how to do that. And so again, that's another area which we won't get into today, where I think Ebony's and Ivory, we really want to take this to so that people have more insight too on how do you have that conversation with your supervisor? What should you be asking for when you go on an interview for that particular role for a faculty position? And yes, you might be, this might be your first faculty opportunity, but that doesn't mean that you slight yourself in what you ask for um, or that you limit your benefits that may come your way. Yeah, to speak to that, like, I know I've had, you know, professors in the past who um, have known going into, let's just say, you know, getting a faculty position, hey, um, I want this, this, I'm going to your track, but I'm going to make sure this happens before I even step foot on this campus, I'm negotiating this salary, um, and they got what they asked for, and I think... I don't know. I think that um, we definitely, as women of color, need to get more comfortable um, with marketing ourselves, mm-hmm. um, marketing our abilities, marketing, being able to um, verbalize what we bring to the table and how impactful that is to um, whatever organization um, we work in. Um, because I've seen it happen. Even in higher ed, and we all know, you work in higher ed, you know it's politics. <laughs> you know politics is the name of the game in higher ed. Um, right. So right. I've seen people get passed up for positions um, that are not even people, oh, excuse me, women of color passed up for positions um, where they had more experience, um, higher educational attainment. Um, they you know, did a lot of university service outside of the department that they worked in, um, and we're still paying stuff for promotions, um, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, you know, to see, and I feel like we definitely have to do a better job of being able to market ourselves um, as, as women of color in higher ed, whether that be 
us being students sort of say, you know, I feel like I want to present at a, at a, um, a conference, you right. know, with the professor, what do I need to do? Right. Or I want to hone my writing skills. Do you have any projects coming up? Or I need a mentor. So if I can't find one, um, in my department, then I'm going to go find one somewhere else. Right. Um, and just like creating our own spaces and making it happen and like just I don't know honing our own past because um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be given to us it's not Yeah. it, it, it will never be given to us um, but I feel like it's our responsibility you know like Michelle Obama said not only do we get our seat at the table but we take risks and we shape the table Yeah. Um, so you know when women come behind us um they will have those opportunities they will know how to um you know rally um and to get those opportunities um because we've already you know done our part to do so so yeah i'm definitely in agreement with you yeah i agree i think it's just something that we have to do so we will obviously spend more time talking about ways to do that in the future but that is our culture corner for the week and now we get to our favorite part of the show i'm always excited about this our ebony's in the spotlight so this is where we give shout outs we highlight we praise any and everyone who either submits or if we catch your moments, which we did for both of these women who we're going to acknowledge today um, through social media. And we appreciate them for allowing us to share their moments with the Ebony's and the Ivory community. But we got some new doctors in the house, Dr. Yes. It's super exciting uh, to be able to welcome, I guess, these women into the folds, which sounds like the church altar call, but... The doors are open. (laughs) And so we are very excited that these two women in particular were a part of, well, really, one was at both of our presentations. And so in 2017 and 18, before Ebony's and Ivory was even Ebony's and Ivory back in 2017. Um, And then both of these women this year were um, at the NBCC conference where we launched Ebony's and Ivory and have been wonderful supporters um since and so our first shout out goes out to dr channing moreland who uh, defended her dissertation i think both of these were on last week or really maybe yeah. two weeks ago now yeah. by the time y'all hear this um one from, and dr channing moreland completed her dissertation and her doctoral degree at indiana university of pennsylvania so shout out to dr moreland shout out dr moreland Woo-hoo. congratulations yeah soak it in yes live it up live it up go to the airport and make them page you dr moreland ah! over the airport and second, our other Ebony's in the spotlight goes out to Dr. Michelle Mitchell, who's graduating from University of Central Florida. Yay. Congratulations, Dr. Mitchell, as well. Congrats, Dr. Mitchell. We're so excited for both of you ladies. We hope that the two of you really are relishing in this experience, in this moment. Your hard work has paid off, and we are so proud of you. Um, And we're excited also that you are a part of the Ebony's and the Ivory crew. And we can't wait to continue to see more of what you do and figure out ways to support you. So congratulations. Congratulations. You know, I really, I saw um, 
Dr. Mitchell's video and it was exciting because she had all those people standing outside and mm -hmm. I just remember when we defended we literally wanted nobody there yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep. Yo, it's a um, moment. It's a moment for sure. It is a moment. So, like, <laughs> kudos to you for being brave enough to have all those people there because I personally even told Lakeitha not to come. I had my mom there. Yeah, but I went anyway. Um, yeah, she came anyway. I turned around and she was in the room. I was like, how'd you get in here? Because <laughs> like, I'm disrespectful. So I just um, did what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, my mom and my husband um, was there. My dad couldn't make it. Um, and then for um, yours, we watched. Mm -hmm. We were able to watch. Watch it live, um, yeah. Watch it live. So, like, I was at work, like, shh, don't talk to me. Like, <laughs> don't say anything to me. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to you, Dr. Mitchell, for being brave and having all those people there because it is a moment. Yes, definitely. Um, congrats to both of y'all. That's yes. very exciting. I'm excited for y'all to be able to hear pomp and circumstance. Oh my god! Um, so live it up. <laughs> And if y'all don't know what she's talking about, go listen to last uh, last uh, podcast episode where she talks about her love for pomp and circumstance multiple times. It's, it gives me the feels, man. I'm telling you, it's it gives weird, me the feels. but it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the show, Doctor Bell. Yes, we have made it to the end of another episode of Ebony's in the Ivory. So make sure that you guys are on the lookout for, we have a blog coming up next. Mm -hmm. um, so make sure that you're on the lookout for the content that we release on EITI Tuesdays. Ooh, ooh. Um, we're excited um, every Tuesday to bring y'all something. Um, we want to thank y'all for tuning in and bearing with us. Uh, we both just think about so much. <laughs> so many topics come to our mind um, so thank you for bearing with us and tuning in um, and as Dr. Poole said earlier please be sure if you have any comments any suggestions, any questions please feel free to hit us up at ebonysintheivory at gmail.com or you can hit us up on any of our social media outlets um, and we are going to be excited to um have our new episode come out and um to hopefully use some of the just suggestions that y'all give us so um thank you for tuning in yeah thank you guys we will see you next time mm -hmm.